What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Joey Malari. So this is actually my 200th episode, so thank you guys so much for listening every step of the way. No matter if you listen to one episode, 10 episodes, 80, 100, or all 200, thank you guys so much for tuning in always. It's always much appreciated. In this episode, I'm going to start off talking about the Red Sox and the Alex Rodugo benching over the weekend. I'll also ponder about whether or not it is time to panic for the Red Sox. I'll give you an update on some injuries to Tana Houck, Trevor Story, and Chris Sale. And then I will talk about the Angels before giving my MLB power rankings. So let's start off with the Red Sox and the Alex Verdugo situation over the weekend. Verdugo is benched for Saturday's game despite being in the starting lineup for the Red Sox. It came out to be a manager's decision, according to reports, after he was originally in the lineup. But he showed up two hours before the game and was taken out, replaced by Adam Duvall. Here is a clip from Alex Cora giving his thoughts on the situation. You know, uh, I think today we took a step back as a team. You know, like we have to make sure everybody's available every single day here for us to get to wherever we're going to go. And that wasn't the case. And uh, as a manager, I, t- I got to take, you know, uh, charge of this. And uh, I decided he wasn't going to play. I decided he's not going to play. I decided he's not going to play. I'm just taking care of the 26 guys, and he wasn't going to play. Is it accurate to say it was, it's for disciplinary reasons why he wasn't The manager's decision, yeah. Okay. Will he play tomorrow? There's a chance he'll play tomorrow, yeah. This is something that's come up with him a few times. Not really, no. You mentioned in Cleveland, right? Like, is there no, but that was a different situation. Yeah, I mean, is there just, is there like... It was a different situation. Maturity, jumping, No, maybe, I mean, he's been mature, you know, but today, you know, for, for we took a step back as a team. So that was Alex Cora giving his thoughts after the Red Sox lost that game on Saturday to the Toronto Blue Jays. And then here is Alex Rodrigo giving his thoughts on the situation. Manager's decision, you know, so just really we're going to leave it at that and, uh, you know, just be ready to play tomorrow. Just a manager's decision, you know what I mean? I just, I don't really want to go too far into it. It's just, it's his decision and that's, uh, that's what we went with. And, you know, obviously I... You know, I want to be available, and I want to want to help in big parts, and I want to help this team win. So, you know, I just all we can do now is look for tomorrow and come here and be ready to play. How long do you take, take any accountability for what happened today? Do I take any accountability for what? For Alex not playing, playing today. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's you know, like I said, it's a manager's decision, and I respect his decision. So there's Alex Rodugo giving his thoughts on the situation. He was also asked in the same post-game interview whether or not he was late to the game. And he said he wasn't. He said he was not late to the game. He said it was not a late thing. So I guess at the end of the day, we'll never know the true story of what happened there in the locker room between Verdugo and Cora. But regardless, Cora used the phrase not available many times. And then Verdugo mentioned it as well, not being available. So... Maybe it was showing up two hours before the game. Maybe there was something else that played out in the locker room as well. You never really know what happens behind the scenes. But Alex Verdugo was called out by Alex Cora. And that's not normally what managers like to do. They don't really like to call out guys in front of the media. But Alex Cora did it out of Verdugo for a second time this season. And this one was obviously more than the time he was benched in the Cleveland Guardian series. The previous benching in that Cleveland series was due to a lack of hustle. This one was not being available, so probably showing up late was what it seems like according to reports, but you never really know what happens in the locker room behind the scenes. But I know the Red Sox did try to shop Alex Rodugo before the trade deadline. Obviously, there was some activity about teams wanting him. They ultimately end up holding on to him, but I think in this offseason, there was a good chance now that Verdugo is gone considering 
Alex Cora and him seem to not be on the same page. And at the end of the day, if the manager's not a fan of you, you're probably gone. So now this brings up the question of whether or not it is time to panic for the Red Sox. Most people would probably say yes, but the Sox do have an easy 10 games coming up and desperately need to win at least seven of those games, maybe even eight, just to try to get themselves back in the mix of the AO Wilds card. They lost seven of the last eight games, now are five games back at the Toronto Blue Jays after being swept at home in a crucial three-game series versus the Blue Jays. I didn't expect that at all. I thought the Red Sox, honestly, I would have said two of three. I think that's what I had in my predictions. But even one of three, I would say, okay, I'm a little disappointed, but at least we got one of the three. Losing all three games is just brutal. Brutal. Toronto gains three games on you, and they're head-to-head. If you beat Toronto, you're gaining a game on them. It's head-to-head. It's not like a, any given night if you win a game and Toronto loses, oh, we gain a game because they lost. No, this is a chance for you to gain while they are losing since you're playing them for three-game series, especially at Fenway Park. And I know the Red Sox had a lot of luck against Toronto earlier in the season. 7-0, the Red Sox were heading into the series against the Blue Jays, and obviously you're not going to be undefeated against them for the whole season. But losing 3-3 three three just can't happen, especially a team that doesn't have Bo Bichette right now, a guy that usually kills the Red Sox when he plays them. And now everyone's probably going to say the Red Sox are done, and I'm sure that's what's going to be the storyline on Boston Sports Radio today, but I'm not completely giving up on this team. Their next 10 games can get them back in the mix. The Red Sox are now 57-54. and 54. Four games at Kansas City now coming up starting today. Three at home versus Detroit and then three at Washington. Ten games that the Red Sox can get themselves back on track. And right now there's an issue for the Red Sox on offense and pitching. And obviously defense has been an issue all year as well. The Red Sox have scored just three runs or less in seven of the last nine games. That can't happen. And luckily the Red Sox do have Trevor Story coming back. He'll be back in the lineup tomorrow. Going to make his 2023 debut for the Red Sox tomorrow versus Kansas City. The Sox need him back in the lineup desperately. In 10 games in Worcester and AAA, he hit 313 for batting average with an 1140 OPS. Three home runs, six runs batted in, and a stolen base. He was looking great for Worcester over the last week or so. Chris Sale's been playing in Worcester as well with two outings on the mound, going six and a third innings, giving up four hits, 10 strikeouts, two walks with a .947 whip and a zero ERA. He should return to the Red Sox rotation this Friday versus the Detroit Tigers, according to reports. So he'll be playing at Fenway on Friday night. So Trevor Story coming back, Chris Sale coming back. So the Sox are getting some well-needed reinforcements, but... Could it be too little, too late? I'm not giving up on this team. This still is just about two months of baseball left for them to get back on track. But obviously, three losses in a row to Toronto after losing seven of the last eight games is just brutal. A brutal stretch of games there for the Red Sox. Tanner Houck, another injured player, has had one outing now in Worcester where he went one and two-thirds innings, giving up three walks, three strikeouts, and two runs off three hits. That was his first outing since being hit in the face off a line drive against the New York Yankees on June 16th. His fastball average in this outing was 91 miles per hour, and that's his first start, though, as I said, since June 16th, so just about two months off. He'll get his fastball back, I'm sure. I think he touched 93 a good handful of times. So the Sox will continue their homestand now and play four games against the Kansas City Royals starting tonight. I think the Red Sox should wear their City Connect jerseys for the entire series versus the Royals to get back on track, and honestly, why not every home game for the rest of the season? It seems like the Red Sox always have luck and win games whenever they're wearing the yellow City Connect jerseys. They are 21-4, and four, I think, if I remember right, from the last time I mentioned the City Connect jerseys. The Red Sox are 21-4 and four wearing the City Connect jerseys over the last couple seasons. They need to keep them on at home games for the rest of the season, honestly, because the Red Sox have just been very, very fortunate every single time they wear those jerseys. So why not wear them right now? Obviously, there's a lot of urgency for this Red Sox team after being swept this weekend against Toronto. They have to get themselves back on track, and why not do that wearing the City Connect jerseys that have brought them a lot of luck and a lot of wins over the last couple seasons? 
And I just looked it up. The Red Sox, I said 21-4 and four wearing the City Connect jerseys. And they've won nine games in a row wearing them. They should have them on for all four games against Kansas City. And then even all three against Detroit. If it's not broken, don't fix it. Obviously, the Red Sox have found ways to win wearing them. Then you got to wear them again. So now I'm going to transition to talking about the Los Angeles Angels. A team that's just been cursed over the last week. And honestly... During the entire tenure of Mike Trout and Shoei Otani being on the same team together, considering they've never made the playoffs with both of those guys in the rush at the same time, this team is cursed. I mean, there's more than meets the eye here. If you look at this Angels team, they went all in at the trade deadline, which I loved. I loved the decision to hold on to Shoei Otani. I loved getting Lucas Giolito. I loved getting CJ Crone and Randall Grigic. I said the Angels are really going all in right now because I know the urgency is building up and the time to win is right now. If you want to keep Shoei Otani, you have to try to make a playoff push now. And then obviously throw a ton of money at him in the offseason. I knew if they traded him, they weren't getting him back. And now it's just gone completely south for this Angels team. They are 56 and 57 now. Seven games back of the last wild cut spot in the American League. Have lost six games in a row. Are two and eight in the last ten. And they have not won a game since the trade deadline last week. They had a very active trade deadline, and it's still been a disaster. They truly are cursed. Honestly, I don't know if you can convince me otherwise. If you look at their losses on the year, catastrophic losses where they lose the game in the 8th and ninth inning, that just seems to be the case every single night. And then also the injuries. They still have Zach Neto, Taylor Ward, Mike Trout, Logan O'Hoppy, Anthony Rendon, all still hurt. That's five of their starters from their lineup in mid-April, all out for extensive periods of time. So it's definitely panic time for this Angels team, I'd say. They start a three-game series tonight against the San Francisco Giants. Patrick Sandoval will be on the mound. They need to find a way to win this game. They need to find a way to stop the bleeding and win. And obviously, like I mentioned in my trade deadline preview and my trade deadline recap, I mentioned the fact that the Angels have a very tough stretch in the month of August. But that's no excuse for losing six games in a row and being 2-8 and eight in your last 10 games and now being seven games back of the last wildcard spot in the American League. And obviously, the Red Sox losing to Toronto not only hurt the Red Sox, but also hurt the Angels as well because they get further away from Toronto while the Blue Jays are winning and the Angels are losing. Toronto's getting further and further ahead of the Red Sox and the Angels. And both of those teams, I want to make the playoffs. I've mentioned it now many of times. I want the Angels to make the playoffs because I think Otani and Trout deserve it more than anybody in the game of baseball, considering they have the two best talents in the game of baseball. They still can't make the playoffs. I mean, the Angels truly are cursed. They truly are cursed. I'm hoping they find a way to get themselves back on track. I mean, it is a long season still to go, but there is an urgency. It's definitely panic time. The clock is ticking on this Angels team, more than the Red Sox, I'd even say. Because the Red Sox have a little bit of an easy stretch in the next 10 games, the Angels have a lot of tough games in the month of August. A lot of tough games. And a lot of injuries. And obviously, have had bad luck in the last few seasons, losing games in the last couple innings. And so even when they do have a good game, they seem to always find a way to lose. They truly are cursed. I'm hoping they can figure it out, get themselves back on track, but it's been a disaster for this team since the trade deadline. And that was a trade deadline that they were very active and were going all in, which I respect still to this moment. And I know a lot of people are going to look back in hindsight, which is always 2020. When you look back in time, you always have 2020 vision saying, oh, I should have done this or oh, I should have done that. I know a lot of people are going to criticize them for keeping Shoei Otani, trading for Randall Grigic, trading for Lucas Giolito, trading for Reynaldo Lopez. I know a lot of people are going to be very critical of this Angels team, but I don't mind them going all in. Because at the time before the trade deadline, they weren't this far out. They still saw Shoei Otani being the best player in the game of baseball. So trading him would just be cashing in, not only on this season, but probably for the immediate future as well, considering if you trade him, you're not getting him back at free agency. So there you go. You're trading away the cornerstone of your franchise. And they also found themselves in a position where they had guys coming back from injuries at some point. They could rely on that just a little bit and say, let's try to stay afloat until Trout, Ohapi, Rendon, Neto, Ward all come back. 
but it just seems like whenever this team goes on a run, it all just breaks down in a catastrophic collapse every single time. They find a way to turn things around, win a couple games in a row, have a couple gutsy wins. They always find a way to just completely implode. And that's the problem with this Angels team. And I really root for them to make the playoffs. I've mentioned it now, as I said, a good amount of times saying I want the Angels and the Red Sox to make it in. When I did say I thought the Angels would make the playoffs after the trade deadline, after they had a very active deadline, I did acknowledge the fact that the Angels and the Red Sox both won't make the playoffs. That was very unlikely for both teams to make the playoffs. So I did acknowledge the fact that I think the Red Sox have a better shot than the Angels. And that's why I'm still going to ride with this Red Sox team. They have 10 games to turn things around. As for the Angels, it's definitely panic time. They need to go on a run and win 8 of the next 10 games, 7 of the next 10, just to try to get some momentum back, get some juice back before Trout, Ohapi, Radon, Wood, and Neto are hopefully back at some point. So now I'm going to move into talking about teams that are heating up in the major leagues. So the reverse of the Red Sox and the Angels. Starting off with the Texas Rangers, they've won six games in a row and are now 13-7 in the last 20. The Seattle Mariners have won five games in a row and are now 8-2 in the last 10. The Baltimore Orioles have won four games in a row. They are 8-2 in the last 10 and 13-7 in the last 20. They are 21-9 in the last 30 games, which is the best in the MLB over the last 30 games played. The Chicago Cubs, a team that's been hot over the last couple weeks, and honestly for the last month just about... Uh, 58-54 overall, 7-3 in the last 10, 15-5 in the last 20, which is the best in the MLB, and 20-10 and in the last 30 games played, which is second best in the last 30 games. 20-10 overall, second best to Baltimore. Baltimore's 21-9 over the last 30. The Cubs are 20-10 over the last 30 games played. So now I'm going to dive in to talking about my MLB power rankings. I'm going to give you a breakdown of my top 10 teams in the game of baseball, starting off with the team I just mentioned, the Baltimore Orioles. They are the number one team in the game of baseball in my eyes right now. They are 21-9 in the last 30 games played, like I mentioned, which is the best in the MLB. And one cool graphic I saw over the weekend, I believe this was posted on Saturday, on Instagram, I saw it on Uncovered MLB. Adley Rutschman has been in the majors for 231 games at this point when this was posted. The Orioles' record in the 231 games prior to him being called up and making his debut was 79 and 151. They were 79 and 151 for a record in the 231 games before Adley Rutschman made his debut. Since Adley Rutschman made his debut in the 231 games since Adley's made his debut, the Orioles are 134 and 97. 134 and 97. They have 55 more wins in the 231 games since Adley Rutschman's debut than they did in the 231 games prior to his debut. And this was a graphic on Saturday or Sunday, so it probably could have changed, obviously, with how they performed over the weekend. But regardless, that's very cool, though, to see that Adley Rutschman really was the turning point for this franchise, calling up a top prospect like Adley Rutschman, who just came in and made a difference right away, defensively, obviously offensively as well, and just brought a spark to the team that they needed. A spark they needed defensively, offensively, and as I said, he seems like a really good kid as well. He shakes the umpire's hand before every game, and during the All-Star Game at Homer and Derby, he just took in every single bit of that experience. You could just see he loves the game of baseball so much. So I'm happy the Orioles have turned things around. As I said, my number one team in the game of baseball. Next up is the Texas Rangers. I think they have the best roster in the game, in my opinion, even though they are battling with injuries right now to Nate Evaldi. Obviously, Jacob DeGrom's out for the season as well. Jonah Heim, their catches out. They're currently two and a half games ahead of the Houston Astros. I think this team is going to be with the Orioles making a run in the AL. Those are my two teams that it'll come down to in the AL, the Orioles and the Rangers. 
So next up is the Atlanta Braves. They are my third team in my power rankings. They are tied with Baltimore right now for the most wins in the game of baseball with 70. They had 10 to 10 in the last 20 games played. A little bit of a tough stretch over the last few weeks, but still a very star-filled roster and definitely would be there at the end of October, I'm sure, trying to make a run. I think the Dodgers, though, who are my fourth team, will beat the Braves in the playoffs as of right now. I think the Dodgers are capable. Obviously, the bullpen's been shaky all year, but the Dodgers are finding their footing at the right time. They're 12-8 and in the last 20 games played, 19-11 and in the last 30 games, and they're facing the Padres right now in the fourth game of their four-game series. It was a wraparound series from Friday through today, so Monday. The Dodgers are up 2-1 in the series and are leading this game right now 8-5 in the bottom of the fourth inning. The Dodgers was down 5-0 after three innings before breaking out in the top of the fourth inning for eight runs. Mookie Betts just hit a grand slam. He's had a home run in back-to-back games now. And the Dodgers are expecting Clayton Kershaw to be back this coming Thursday. So they're starting to get some health at the right time as well. We'll see if Walker Buehler ever makes his return at the end of the season in September. But I think this Dodgers team is very capable of beating the Braves in the playoffs. Next up is the Houston Astros, my fifth team in the power rankings. They are 6-4 and four in the last 10 games. They're finding health at the right time, getting healthy with Jordan Alvarez being back in the lineup. And they also added Justin Verlander at the deadline, along with Kendall Graveman. They're starting to make a run and get themselves back on track. The Tampa Bay Rays, my sixth team in my power rankings. A team that started off the year very hot, have gotten cold, though, over the last couple months, but they still are a good team. 6-4 and four in the last 10 games played. They start a three-game series versus the St. Louis Cardinals tomorrow night. They're still a dangerous team, but they're not as good as they were at the start of the season in April. But yet again, they still are dangerous, though, as I said. Still a team that you have to watch out for. Next up, my seventh team, the Chicago Cubs. They've been one of the hottest teams in the game of baseball over the last month or so now. And the decision for them not to sell was vital and very smart. Keeping Cody Bellinger, keeping Marcus Stroman, keeping Kyle Hendricks. Really was a smart decision for them, and it's really paying off. Really paying off, and they have a chance to now make a run in October. Like I said they could, right before the trade dead, that I said I would not sell. I know I was originally a sell for them about 10 days before the trade deadline. Then when I recorded three or four days before the trade deadline, I said they should buy because of how good they were looking and how many wins they were stacking up game by game. I said this team is good enough right now to make the playoffs. Don't sell Just try to buy, and that's what they ended up doing. They didn't sell, and that's the best decision they could have made. Next up is the eighth team, and that is the Toronto Blue Jays, who just swept the Red Sox over the weekend. They outscored the Red Sox 25-8 to in three games. So obviously a disaster of a series for the Red Sox. The Blue Jays are now 7-4 in the last 11 games and have made up a lot of ground on the Red Sox and the Angels over the last week or so. They're up now seven games on the Angels and five games on the Boston Red Sox. Next up is the ninth team, that is the Philadelphia Phillies, who are 36-21 and since June 1st, the second-best record in the MLB to the Atlanta Braves since June 1st. The Phillies have been very hot in the last couple months. They are 61-51 overall, 11-9 in the last 20 games played. This is a team that started off the year very cold, but have really found their footing over the last couple months, like I said. Even with Trey Turner struggling, the fan base is supporting him through everything, and I think he'll be back on track at some point. He's too talented to stay this cold at the plate for this long. He's a career 300 hitter. There's no way he's going to stay at 225, 230 for the entire season. I think he's going to heat up at some point. He's probably not going to obviously end up 280 on the year, but I think he can get himself up to 250, 260, maybe if he hits a couple hot stretches over the next few weeks. I haven't given up on Trey Turner. I don't think you should either. Even though he is struggling right now, he's too good of a hitter to struggle this long. He'll wake up and he'll figure it out. The 10th team my power rankings is the Milwaukee Brewers. South Freelick just got the call up for them a couple weeks ago now. A rookie from Boston College who has two home runs on the season for the Brewers with a 244 batting average. Very good defensively as well in his debut. Actually made a couple great plays defensively. It was 3 of 3 at the plate to go along with also having the game-winning run batted in. So very impressive start to his career. Two home runs, as I said. 
I think the Brewers could be a dangerous team in the playoffs, even though they are struggling as of late. They've had three bad series in a row, losing three of three to the Braves, two of three to the Washington Nationals, and then splitting a four-game series with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Obviously, things aren't going very hot for them as of late, but I think this team could heat up and be a dangerous team in the playoffs. And now I'm going to talk about my last topic, and that is the Chicago White Sox, a team that's just been an absolute disaster and a mess all season. I think they need to completely clear the locker room after the season. Whatever players they have left that they see as a cancer in their locker room, trade them, cut them, do whatever they have to do. Now it makes sense how bad they've been all season. They've been one of the worst teams in the sport all season, despite having such a stacked roster and such a great lineup at the start of the season. They have Luis Robert, Andrew Benintendi, Aloy Jimenez, Tim Anderson. They had Lance Lynn, Lucas Giolito, Michael Kopech. They've had so much talent and they have nothing to show for it except being one of the worst teams in the game of baseball. And I think we saw over the weekend the reason why this team has struggled so much overall in the year. And if you were watching ESPN or even on the internet, Instagram, Twitter over the last few days, I'm sure you saw the Tim Anderson versus the Jose Ramirez brawl this past weekend when the White Sox played the Guardians. Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez got into it. Ramirez slid between TA at second base, going in between Anderson's legs. And the two players exchanged words. Then Tim Anderson dropped his glove, made a gesture saying, come at me. Each player threw a few jabs, but it was Ramirez who got T.A. with a right hook to the jaw. Ends up putting T.A. on the ground with that hit. Tim Anderson is now suspended six games and three games for Jose Ramirez. I think both players will probably appeal those suspensions. Tim Anderson did have a scuffle as well with a teammate before the All-Star break with teammate Yasmani Grandal, according to reports. Grandal wanted to leave a day before the break started since he wasn't in the lineup in the last game before the All-Star break. And then Tim Anderson said... F him. If he doesn't want to be here, I'll pay for his flight. So at the end of the day, there's obviously been a lot of turmoil in this White Sox locker room over the course of the entire season. Grandal, according to reports, proceeded to walk over to Tim Anderson and slap him. And then over the weekend as well, former White Sox reliever Keenan Middleton, who was traded to the New York Yankees in the trade deadline, called out his former clubhouse and said, I don't know how you police the culture. If there are no rules or guidelines to follow because everyone is doing their own thing, like, how do you say anything about it because there are no rules? He also mentioned the fact that there were players that were sleeping in the bullpen during games. They were missing meetings, missing practices, no repercussions or punishment for any of these players that were missing games. And this is according to a report from ESPN's Jesse Rogers when he had a conversation with Middleton. Middleton also noted the fact that it's hard to police people when there are no rules. If guys are doing things that you think are wrong, who is it wrong to? You or them. It's anyone's judgment at that point. So, obviously, Middleton was upset with the way the White Sox handled their locker room over the course of the entire season. Obviously, he said it's hard to police people when there are no rules. He said it's anyone's judgment at that point. When there's no rules, people just do whatever they want. So, I think all signs point to this White Sox team just blowing things up completely in the offseason. I think manager Pedro Grifol will be fired at the end of the season, even though he's a first-year coach in Chicago. This has just been an absolute dumpster fire there the entire season. Even if they don't fire him, I think it would be the smart thing to do, considering I think it would be best for this team just to start with a clean slate. But according to Middleton, it's not just on Griffo. He said that these issues started during the Tony La Russa era, and then when Middleton came in the season, people were just doing whatever they wanted because they were doing that already during the tenure with Tony La Russa before he was out on medical leave, obviously with the condition that he ended up missing the entire the rest of the season last year about midway through. So who knows what to believe according to all these reports and who's telling the truth. But with how poor the White Sox have played this year, I think all those reports about the 
interaction between Yasmani Grandal and Tim Anderson is believable. I think Middleton's comments about players just doing whatever they want and there being no rules and people missing practices and meetings with no repercussions, I think that could be accurate. I think all of these things could be believable because of how poor the White Sox have played all season. So we'll see what happens with them and what they do in the offseason, but I think it would be smart for them to completely rip things up and just start a new culture there in Chicago. Obviously, the way things have been going over the last couple of seasons, they need to mix things up and find a way to get themselves back on track. And I think if they were to rebuild, maybe trade some pieces, build around Luis Robert, I think that would be the smartest thing for them to do. Build around Dylan Cease, build around Luis Robert, and then just restart everywhere else especially with guys that maybe have a year left on their deal. If they've been part of the problem, like Yasmati Grandal, it would be smart for them to completely rip things up and just start new. But we'll see what the White Sox do in the offseason. Anyway, that will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it and hope you guys have a good one. Thank you.